0: Chapter 4 of Concerning Isabel Carnaby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Concerning Isabel Carnaby by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter 4 Friends in Need through whatsoever ills betide for you i will be spent and spend i'll stand for ever by your side and naught shall you and me divide because you are my friend perhaps one of the most noteworthy characteristics of the people called methodists is the esprit de corps the spirit of clannishness which runs through the whole body is any sick the rest are eager to pray is any merry the rest are delighted to sing psalms and they will not only pray and sing in sympathy which is comparatively easy but they are ready to spend and to be spent for the brethren to any extent men may know that they are methodists from the love they have one to another and this love does not confine itself to the actual members of the church but extends to their descendants to the third and fourth generation even though these descendants may have forsaken the faith of their fathers and embraced other forms of worship this clannishness is not so much the spiritual bond of a common creed as a more human and so more indissoluble bond like the tie of country or of kinship and therefore no variations in belief can break it if the children of methodism as they grow up and see the various phases of modern life incline to a broader faith or a more ornate ritual than those which satisfied their fathers their mother church does not blame them as perverts nor brand them as apostates they are still her children and she will be interested in them to the end though the daughter may forget her own people and her father's house she herself is ever remembered in the old home where there is no bitterness on account of her forgetfulness such forgetfulness being but the fulfilment of a law of natural growth it is this spirit of kinship that accounts for the wonderful freemasonry among all wesleyan methodists and their masonic sign their shibboleth so to speak is their pronunciation of their denominational name if a man pronounces the word wesleyan as if the s were a z and puts the accent upon the second syllable one may safely conclude that that man has never been inside this particular fold but if he sounds the s sharply as if it were double s and accentuates the first syllable of the word all wesleyans know that he is or his father was before him one of themselves for his speech bewrayeth him when paul had been at oxford for upwards of two years and seemed on the high road to success in all his undertakings a sudden change came o'er the spirit of his dream the bank in which mrs seaton's fortune was invested stopped payment and the heavy calls which her husband was obliged to pay left him with but a very small addition to his income as a supernumerary to many men of his age this would have been a crushing blow but mark seaton's mind was so uniformly set upon things above and so indifferent to all earthly considerations that worldly misfortunes had little power to hurt him but the stroke nevertheless fell heavily upon his wife not that she was more worldly-minded than her husband but because poverty always presses harder upon a woman than upon a man poverty meets a man face to face upon the battlefield of life and he then and there either conquers or is conquered by it but it waylays a woman in her home lurking for her in the recesses of her wardrobe and jumping out upon her from her kitchen and her storeroom and a secret foe is always worse than an open enemy the blow fell when paul was down for the long vacation and he saw far more clearly than his father did what it would mean to his mother and sister with an intuition which was rare in so young a man he realised how the daily struggle to make both ends meet which hardly penetrated into the minister's study would embitter joanna's youth and render mrs seaton's declining years but labour and sorrow to her and with his accustomed decision he made up his mind that this burden must be lightened at all costs even though the lightening taxed him to his uttermost farthing joanna he said one day when he and his sister were alone together i am not going back to oxford not going back to oxford paul what do you mean simply what i say instead of finishing my time there i have decided to set about earning something at once so as to make life a little less hard for you and mother but there is no need for that said joanna mother and i were saying only yesterday what a good thing it was that you had your scholarship and so were independent of us that's all rot said paul a fellow can't be independent of his own people in that sense and i'm not going to have mother fag to death over things if i can stop it but paul it would spoil your career if you left oxford without taking your degree don't bother about that and besides career or no career my mind is made up don't you know urged joanna that father and mother and i would gladly give up everything we have for the sake of you and your future of course i do and do you suppose i haven't the same consideration for you but paul it seems such a shame it's no use arguing with me i've made up my mind i tell you of course i'm sorry to leave oxford and throw up my chance of a first and all that that means but you know there are some things a fellow can pay too dearly for and that is one of them joanna's eyes filled with tears oh paul are you sure it is necessary look here i think it is necessary that i should set about earning some money as soon as possible it is awfully good of you dear oh i don't know much about the goodness of it but i do know that a man couldn't very well act differently under the circumstances but paul think of your boating and how you would miss that for the first time in the conversation paul's lip quivered please don't let's talk about that besides boating isn't everything after a few moments joanna asked then what shall you do instead of going back to oxford i shall go and teach small latin and less greek to sir richard esdale's son i wrote to my tutor telling him how matters stood and asking him if he could put me in the way of getting a job and he wrote back saying that old esdale who is a chum of his wanted somebody to teach his small boy and prepare him for eton and so he recommended you he said he should be pleased to recommend me to anybody as i took a first in mods and was pretty sure to do the same in Greats if i would stayed up so i shall go to estale court after the summer holidays are over i see the pay is two hundred a year continued paul and i can send most of it home as i shall have only my clothes to pay for oh paul how good you are you see even if i stayed on at oxford and took my degree and went to the bar it would be ages before i could earn anything and i feel i mustn't waste any more time but i shall write articles and things for magazines in the intervals of teaching young estale his a b c and i hope in time to make a good thing out of my pen but do you think you will like teaching asked joanna i can't say anything about that at present just now my idea of teaching anybody anything is to say it over and over again in the same words but louder and louder each time with the addition of a few epithets hurled at the stupidity of the pupil but i dare say i shall warm to the work in time and as what must be must be there is no good talking any more about it so paul seaton renounced his heart's desire and gave up his youthful dreams it was no light matter to him thus to forego all the things that he had longed for from his youth up but he was hopeful enough to believe that if a man can succeed in anything he can succeed in everything and that success is a matter of character rather than a question of circumstance therefore paul made up his mind that if he could not distinguish himself in law he would distinguish himself in letters and would be a great author as he might not be a great advocate and in the meantime he worked and waited and did all in his power to lighten the cloud which had fallen upon the little home at Chayford and things pressed heavily there at first before paul's salary had begun to come in and before the necessary retrenchments had been put into practice for one cannot reconstruct the management of a household in a day but it was better for the seatons than it might otherwise have been because of that wonderful methodist freemasonry my husband and i want to know said mrs ford to the minister one day if instead of renting another house as you intend you will do us the favour of living in our little cottage we do not need it as long as our son remains unmarried and we should not like to let it as Chafford cottage has never been let so it really will be a kindness to us if you and mrs seaton will keep it warm for us till such time as we want it for edgar and his wife the minister grasped her hand you are very good to us he said and his voice shook but i hardly like to take advantage of such generosity let me assure you that such a feeling is quite beside the mark it is really far better for a house to be inhabited by gentle people than by caretakers and yet i should not like to have any one living there with whom i was not on terms of the most intimate friendship so you are really conferring the favour on us mr seaton smiled there was once another great woman who builded a little chamber in the wall that a prophet might abide there and who was careful for him with all care and we do not read that the prophet's pride rebelled against the sense of obligation nor that he hesitated to take a favour at the great woman's hands because she happened to be rich and he was poor because when one gets to the heart of life and understands that nothing is one's own but that all things are god's there is no such thing as a sense of obligation such a sense as a mere vulgar superficiality said mrs ford precisely therefore dear mrs ford i accept your kind offer with more gratitude than i can express i can never repay you and your husband for what you have done for me and mine but like the prophet of old i can speak for you to the king and the captain of the host and believe me i shall do that every time i am on my knees and may god grant more abundantly that i can desire or conceive all the prayers that i shall offer up on your behalf so it was arranged that the setons should take up their abode at Chaford cottage thus they were saved from paying rent a heavy item in small homes but nevertheless the incidental expenses of moving and so forth were so great that mr seaton decided with much sorrow that he should be obliged to part with his library in order to meet them on hearing of this decision miss dalicott called at the minister's is it true dear mr seaton she began that you are contemplating the sale of your interesting and valuable library mrs ford informed me that she believed such was the case though she had no authority for making the statement beyond the sanction of rumour it is true i am grieved to say replied the minister i have always made it my rule in life to pay ready money for all things and never to run into debt even for a shilling's worth therefore i am in need of some cash in hand to pay the expenses of our move into the cottage my conscience would not allow me to borrow the necessary sum so i see no alternative but to dispose of my books still you possess so many friends who would feel it a privilege to advance the sum you require that it seems a matter of regret that you will not avail yourself of the loan do not tempt me dear miss dollacott to act against my principles i have made a vow to owe no man anything even for an hour and i should not feel it consistent with my profession as a minister of christ to run into debt on any pretext whatsoever then that being the case said miss drusilla you will not deem it unseemly or commercial on my part to inform you that i have long viewed with feelings of envy your admirably selected collection of old books i have come here to-day with the intention of making you a reasonable offer for the same but i felt that such an offer would savor of impertinence if your mind were not as yet finally made up in favour of disposing of your valuable library Mr. Seaton looked pleased. I am very glad to hear you say this. I confess it is a wrench to me to part with my books, and I cannot disguise from myself that I shall miss them sorely. Yet it is a great comfort to me to think that my carefully selected library will not be broken up, but will be in the possession of a cultured person capable of appreciating it then said miss dallacott blushing may i be so mercenary as to mention the sum i should offer in exchange for your admirable collection of volumes certainly dear miss i am as you know a child in these matters and have no idea what my library is worth the sum i should suggest is five hundred pounds but if you think that insufficient pray tell me so and i will increase it at once nay miss drusilla that seems to me far too much i could not take such a large sum as that for my little library believe me dear mr seaton it is none too much said miss dalicott with more charity than veracity in fact i believe at a sale your books would command a far larger sum but as you remark it would be a source of regret to see so carefully selected a collection ruthlessly resolved again into its integral parts the minister looked doubtful i am a poor hand at business but i think you are too generous dear friend quite the reverse take my word for it mr seaton i am making what is vulgarly termed a bargain to obtain a valuable library which i have long coveted for the comparatively trifling sum of five hundred pounds is a stroke of good fortune such as does not generally fall to my portion mark seaton shook his head i trust that we are not deceiving ourselves and letting your kindness of heart run away with us certainly not have no doubts on that score i entreat you and now i have a favour to ask of you if you will not think me importunate in so doing by no means dear miss drusilla it will be the greatest pleasure to me to do anything in my power for so faithful a friend as you have proved yourself to be the request i have to make is that you will grant me permission to keep my library under your roof for a time as you will perceive i have no space at present for any increase in my shelf-room i may possibly add a small octagonal room to my present study like the one at chafford house but until this arrangement is carried out i must trespass on your kindness so far as to leave the library i have purchased from you in your keeping the minister's face glowed with innocent pleasure he had no suspicion of any guile on the good spinster's part and it rejoiced his heart to know that he and his beloved books would not be parted just yet i shall be only too delighted to oblige you in this matter miss dalicott in fact added he with the air of one imparting a new view of the question i myself shall profit by the arrangement for i am sure you will not have any objection to my using the books as long as they are in my charge of course not dear mr seaton i trust you will avail yourself of the library just the same whether it is nominally in my possession or in yours and it will be a source of unbounded satisfaction to me to feel that my treasured books are under such safe jurisdiction i hope that i have not acted in a deceitful manner said miss dalicott to herself on her way home but the worthy man would not have accepted help more openly bestowed i fear wherefore my little ruse was perhaps excusable and i was not actually guilty of any untruth at least i trust i was not surely the value of anything is what it happens to be worth to us and the minister's library is worth far more than five hundred pounds to me for it represents the earthly happiness of my dear friend and pastor and it is undoubtedly true that i have no more book-room in my little home my shelves are already so overcrowded that a new hymn-book would prove a superfluity to me at present but i fear i overstepped the mark a little in my speech anent the octagonal enlargement i have no actual intention of ever enlarging my borders and i am sorely afraid i conveyed the impression that such an intention formed part of my immediate programme i trust that i have not sinned in this and done evil that good may come and the good lady sighed in much contrition of spirit never having read how the recording angel blots out with a tear some entries even as he makes them but the entry against miss drusilla was not the only erasure that the recording angel had to make that day martha said mrs seaton to her faithful handmaiden it goes to my heart to say it but i fear we cannot keep you with us any longer well to be sure ma'am exclaimed martha in unfeigned surprise and what may have put such a notion as that into your head you'll be talking about giving the minister notice next the fact is martha that we can no longer afford so valuable a maid as yourself now that our circumstances are changed we can only keep one servant for the very rough work and miss joanna and i must do the rest ourselves well i am glad to hear that it is the money question that has put you thus beside yourself ma'am and not any dissatisfaction with me not that i should have left even if such had been the case i should have stayed with you for your own good even though you had given me notice twenty times a day bless you ma'am if i wasn't here to look after you all the whole place would go to rack and ruin you are right martha home would not be home without you then don't multiply words any more ma'am or talk nonsense about my going away i've made up my mind to stay on with you all and not to take any wages whatsoever and when martha prosser puts her foot down all the king's horses and all the king's men can't pick it up again but dear martha we can't let you go on serving us without wages and why not i should like to know what do i want with wages my face is too plain for me to care to spend money on my back which is no secret being there for all the world to see and i don't hold with saving ma'am money is like the manna to my thinking it is all very well to supply the needs of the passing day but when you begin to save it up it doesn't improve with keeping yet we should all of us lay by what we can for our old age suggested mrs seaton i don't hold with that neither it is a poor compliment to my mind to say the lord will provide and then to bolster him up with a bank-book as if he couldn't do his part of the business without our assistance my conscience alive if we'll only do our part properly he'll do his never fear the minister's wife did not reply in words but she threw her arms round martha's neck and sobbed out her griefs and her gratitude on that faithful breast as for martha when she had soothed and comforted her mistress she armed herself with the wisdom of the serpent and knocked at the door of the minister's study if you please sir she said in a sepulchral tone i want to consult you about a spiritual difficulty certainly martha certainly replied mr seaton with much warmth feeling far more at home on eternal than on temporal ground sit down and tell me all about it and i will see how i can help you thus adjured martha took a seat i used to think she began that when one had got to a sensible age one would have outgrown the snares and wiles of the devil but bless my soul he has got them suited to fit all ages and sizes as they say of ready-made clothes he has indeed my poor martha and it is when we think he has no longer the power to harm us that he is most to be dreaded but tell me what is the temptation that has been assailing you now martha's face was the picture of gloom as she replied i feel that covetousness and the love of money are creeping upon me in my old age and we all know that the lord hateth the covetous man and that the love of money is the root of all evil mr seaton's face was very tender as he answered i fancy that you are unduly distressing yourself surely i who know you so well and with whom you have met in class all these years should have perceived this fault in your character had it ever existed believe me your conscience is over-sensitive and now falsely accuses you but martha shook her head the heart knoweth its own bitterness she replied and i want you to help me to conquer the devil and not explain him away as my aunt matilda jane said when the doctor told her she had nasal catarrh it is a common cold in the head and i haven't sent for you to christen it but to cure it that is what aunt matilda jane said and she had right on her side to my thinking well martha if as you say the sin of covetousness is lying in wait for your soul i can only pray for you and entreat you to watch as well as pray that you enter not into this temptation that is not enough there is more than prayer wanted in my case not that prayer is not sufficient for some and i should be the last to say a word against it but i want something more myself replied the penitent then tell me what that more is demanded martha's spiritual adviser in some perplexity i want you to remove the temptation far from me so that i can no longer behold the accursed thing in fact i want you to take all my savings and spend them and never let me hear of them again they being but filthy lucre at best and amounting to one hundred and eleven pounds fifteen shillings and sixpence in all added the excited martha thrusting her bank-book into her master's hand if i keep them they may draw my soul into perdition and make me as them that have their portion in this life while if you'll only take and spend them you'll save my soul alive and be able to have a fire in your bedroom all the winter which the mistress ought never to be without her being so rheumatic bless her dear heart then at last the minister understood and he also understood that when any pilgrim's face is set as though to go to jerusalem it is no sign of true apostleship to try to turn that pilgrim back so he took martha's bank-book into his keeping until such time as he saw fit to return it to her thank you martha he said and his eyes were full of tears i will do as you bid me and shall be able to see that your dear mistress lacks nothing during the coming winter owing to your generosity and you in your turn will always remember that in this household as in the early church we have all things in common and that whatever is ours is also yours then that's settled replied martha cheerfully and now i must go back to the kitchen to see the oven which is apt to burn the pie-crust without baking it unless duly warned and admonished by them that have authority you'd wonder how an oven could burn without baking but human nature is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and our kitchen oven is one of the worst yet martha god is very good and therefore human nature is sometimes very good likewise i have certainly proved it of late well you see sir it is in this way expounded martha god made man in his own image and though man spoils himself in the making and loses his proper pattern and falls out of shape the original mould is not broken yet nor never will be trust the lord for that End of chapter 4.